Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Today's story comes from Black Forest, Colorado, where there's possibly a haunting. Maybe. Perhaps. We'll leave it up for debate later. Yeah. This story starts out pretty much like every haunting movie ever has. Family moves into a house. Everything seems fine. Little weird things start happening. Then it gets real weird. And then we don't know what to do. What happened is we have this family. It's a mother, a father, and two sons. The mother's name is Elizabeth or Beth Lee. Father is Stephen or Rusty Lee. And the sons are Stephen and Jack. They moved into this house in the Black Forest in 1990 and then purchased it in 1991. Now, to give you a little bit about the house so you can picture it in your head. The home is a two-story log house located in the densest part of the woods, and it's a relatively rural area. Yeah, when we were looking at it, you had to kind of do an, a satellite view to see the house, because when you do Google Maps at first, it's just woods and a street, right? Yeah, and then when you turn onto their little property dirt road, then you have to go down a little bit of a ways to actually see where the home is. The house is very much on its own. It's not like they have super close neighbors by any means. Now, like I mentioned, they moved in, stayed a year, decided to purchase it. And then that's when things started to happen. So we'll get to this a little bit later. But I wonder if one of the reasons why things started to happen after they officially owned the home was that whatever presence was there, it was fine when they didn't think it was theirs. But then once they owned the home, maybe... A spirit presence did have some sort of feeling about it, maybe. Do you think that they knew the closing happened and then the ghost got real mad about it? Well, I mean, I know that most closings have the ghosts present. They're the witnesses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so stupid. Uh, no, not so much that. But I mean, if you think about how you treat a home when it's yours versus something you rent, right? Like you're going to paint, maybe buy some new appliances really move stuff around, talk about redoing floors, talk about knocking a wall out. That's true. Yeah. So in May of 1991, I think that's when things really started to happen. Beth said, one day we came home and it was like 4th of July in our living room and bedroom. We had all kind of lights flashing through and it sounded like people stomping across the roof. We would lay in bed at night and hear chains rattling. One night we woke up and heard orchestra music. Strange things started happening every day. Now, that's one of the details that didn't seem very common. I can't tell you any other hauntings that have complained about orchestra music, have you? No. And if I'm being honest, the chains rattling sounds a little bit like ghosts of Christmas past to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a little bit... Muppets. Muppets. It's a little bit kind of like what you think about when you think of a cartoon haunting mm -hmm. not to diminish their experience in any way but it's just it's almost comedic how intense the hauntings are because it's kind of like if that were to happen to you if orchestra music started playing in my house i don't think i would be calm about it yeah so in addition to that they started seeing other occurrences throughout the home 
Jack and Stephen, the children, saw lights and shadows in their bedroom. They also, on on one interview later on, said their TV would go on and off too. Now, as someone who did also grow up in the 90s, there's a lot of things that could trigger TVs, and I hadn't really thought about it in years. But did you ever have one of those like plasma globe things? The ones where you put your finger and it goes, and it's a little like electricity current. Yeah. Yeah. Like a little lightning type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we had one and whenever we'd touch it, it would interfere with our TV and it would change the channels. (laughs) So we used to like to scare each other with it as kids. And so that's all I thought of is like in the 90s, what could have been interfering with this TV? And again, not to downplay whatever this family was going through because it could have been very much real, but. My goal normally is to try to like debunk what's happening. And that would be one thing is, was there anything happening in the home that could have been interfering with the TV to turn it on and off or, you know, any other appliance? The family also smelled a chemical odor. And sometimes it would be so noxious that it would burn their eyes and throats. And we're going to talk about it later. But this is one detail that keeps coming up that I find particularly unique to this haunting. Yeah. And when I first read that detail, I was like, what a weird one. Mm-hmm. I've never read about any other haunting that included a chemical smell. The most common one that I've read about or seen in, you know, every haunting TV show is like a, a perfume smell or an old musty smell that would come up occasionally. Also sulfur if you're demons and you know the Winchesters. That's true. But not not a chemical smell. And I, I wish that they would have explained somewhere what this chemical smell smelled like. Right? You know, what could they relate it to? I have scoured the internet as much as possible, lots of different interviews, everything, and they never describe the chemical smell. Yeah. And we will talk about this a little bit later, but we spoke to someone who'd been in the house and who'd talked to the Lees, Jan Jones, and she couldn't describe it either. And I think she had never heard it be described, just that it happened frequently and not always in the home. Right. On top of that, there was also shadowy figures around the home that were seen, including apparitions. So the ones to note throughout the years that they've seen is an old lady, a little girl, a burly man in the 1800 style clothing, and a flying dog, which seems kind of cool. What? So here's the thing. I looked up when the house was built, and it was built in 1982. And because we had we've like gone through these notes, we've read our notes, we've read everything we could on this. And I'd seen the 1800s like period clothing before and it didn't hit me. And then I was like, wait a second, this house looks pretty classic 80s, right? Like in the way that it's built and the way that it's laid out. So I was like, that's strange that it's built in the 80s, but it's from a fully different century. This person's clothing, at least. But I still thought normally you think like ghost, it's the person who was there. Maybe it was somebody who was on the land before, but wasn't in the house. Right. But I don't know about the flying dog. Kind of sounds like Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, the flying dog could have been, because I don't think it was immediately that they saw the flying dog. I think it was throughout the years. So maybe one of their dogs passed. I did see a, I think it was an article where they mentioned that they thought they saw their dog. But there have been other notable instances of people seeing ghost dogs before, though. 
Really? Mm-hmm. Like the black dogs? Not the black dogs. Or do you mean ghost dogs generally? I want to say the Whaley House in San Diego has also seen ghost animals. So not to get a little too like with you, but I've in my day seen some ghosts. There's no ghost that I've seen more than my cat Stimpy growing up. She passed away when I was in my late teens. And for, I don't know, five to 10 years afterwards, I would see her jumping off the table. Like I would see like her tail and back legs kind of go woof and then just go away. Yeah. Always out of the corner of your eye. Always out of the corner of my eye, but very distinct, like black tail curling hind legs jumping. So it was like a very clear image. Like I can picture it in my head. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But good old Stimpy sticking around. Well, on top of all of these apparitions, they would also hear voices when no one was present. And just like me, the family tried to debunk everything. So they went through anything that they could think of. They installed cameras. They had burglar alarms. They hired private investigators. They've been said to say that they spent around $30,000 to try to find out what was happening. Alarms occasionally would go off without anyone triggering it. And over four years, there were 62 unexplained break-ins. They also caught footage of light streaks, strange shadows, translucent faces, and fog. And the fog wasn't just inside. It looked like occasionally outside in just certain pictures. And it wouldn't be like the entire land was foggy or anything. It would just be like a, a picture of just a small area looking like it was all fogged up. I think that the fact that they have so much evidence makes it, in my opinion, a little bit more credible because it's happening over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's not just one picture of fog here or one type of thing happening. Right. My only concern is think of when you took a photograph in the 90s, right? You had to rely on someone or yourself developing it properly, making sure nothing was on the film, not doing a double exposure. There's a lot of different other things that could have happened. But from what I've read is Steve actually thought the photographs were messed up at first. Either the camera was messing up, film was messed up, something was messed up. So he tried various different cameras that ended up producing the same results. So in 1993, the El Paso County Sheriff's Office opened an investigation. There were 45 follow-ups, but there was never any criminal activity found, which I could you imagine being on that police force and being like, okay, we're back there and there's nothing there. And I would imagine each time they came out, they would get more and more frustrated Mm -hmm. because there's no visible threat. But clearly this family is very upset and has every right to be. Of course. Yeah. And especially if they if their cameras were saying there was 62 unexplained break-ins, I wonder what that office thought. Yeah. And there was a part of me that very early on in thinking about this that I thought that perhaps it was like a prank Mm -hmm. from like some local kids or something like that. But I think that if that was the case, there would have been evidence that was caught on on either the security footage or photos they took. Agreed. Yeah. I think that they would have caught at least a glimpse of someone walking onto the property or something happening. Yeah. So in 1995, the family reached out to a show called Sightings. Now, I want to say I had watched Sightings years ago. It looked familiar when I looked it up. It was a unique show in the 90s because it would cover strange phenomenon like UFOs, paranormal, things like that. And it wasn't as popular as it is today. So it was it was one of a kind back then. It ran for a total of five seasons from 91 to 98, just to age it for you. The show had several episodes that actually went through the Black Forest home. The first aired in October of 1995. 
The second was November of 1995. And then the final one aired February of 1996. Is that typical? I don't think that they went back to places that frequently. You know, I went through IMDb and just read off a lot of the episode titles. I didn't see a lot that said return to. So I think it happened occasionally, but not as often. So sightings used a photo analyst. His name was Edson Williams, who was trained to detect trick photography. He says that it would have been difficult to recreate a dot on a certain photograph that was a single exposure photo. In that photo, the dot was hazy and sharp and was indoors. He also reviewed a photo of a beam of light coming from what looks like the roof and said that you wouldn't have been able to create those photos with the technology that existed then. Right. So at least they did try to look at the photos from an expert point of view, and they weren't able to give an explanation as to why it occurred that way. Yeah, I feel like most of the time when you talk about a haunted house, you hear about the inhabitants being like, it's haunted, it's haunted, it's haunted. Let me convince you why. And I never got the feel that that's what the leads were doing here. It always seemed to me that they just wanted answers of what the heck was going on. Yeah, I agree. When I watch the interviews and just their demeanor, it doesn't seem like it was them trying to get attention as much as they were like, what is happening to us and why is it us? Yeah, they seemed emotionally exhausted by it. And from the scale of the hauntings, I can completely understand why. Agreed. Sightings also brought in Echo Bodine. And I, I went onto her website to figure out what she really is or, you know, what she does. And her website described her as an internationally acclaimed ghostbuster, psychic, clairvoyant, and spiritual healer. I'm loving this. Yes. And she's written books. She's been everywhere. I was surprised that I hadn't heard her name before. But she went into the home as well with sightings. And then less than an hour into the investigation, there was interference that wiped out the audio system. Echo had mentioned that there was a threatening force. And she says that there was a male spirit. Where she pointed, so she pointed and said, it's over there. The thermal imaging showed a hot spot. Don't like that. No, that was very strange. The threatening spirit that she was able to pinpoint had said that he considered the house to be his place. And like I said earlier, maybe once they owned the house, then he was frustrated with them. But up until then, they were just somebody who was temporarily in his space, perhaps. Right. Also, at one point during the show, a camera on a tripod was knocked over. And there's certainly times when you see things done in ghost shows for ratings that are blatant attempts to be salacious. It's hard for me to think that they would damage their own equipment or knock out their audio to stage a haunting when there's so many other things they could do. That's true. They didn't claim that doors were opening or closing by themselves or anything like that. It was more, I don't know what happened to our audio. I don't know why this fell over. So it's a little bit different than what you see on TV today. Oh, for sure. I feel like ghost shows now are like somebody accidentally breathes into a mic and they're like, someone has just gone through a soliloquy. And they like make up some like long phrase that the person has said, which isn't very accurate. I don't understand on the EVPs nowadays where they're like, the ghost described everything that happened to them. And I'm like, it sounded like blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it, it it sounded kind of like someone had coughed like at, outside and it just picked it up because it was really good audio. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a right and a wrong way to do an EVP. And a lot of what I see where they're holding the device. And so just 
I mean, take your phone and make a quick recording while holding it. You're going to hear a lot of weird stuff that you may not think you're hearing, you're not hearing, honestly, but it's from your hand rubbing on the phone or your clothing or, you know, you walking. Yeah. You're, you're supposed to put it down where it can't be interfered with. And they're always walking around with it. It makes me so upset. If there's one thing that I've learned from our, our start into podcasting and the fun time that we have editing, it's how easy it is to make a noise you didn't mean to make. <laughs> and just how loud that can be if you move your hand or tap a table, especially if you're near something that records audio. Yeah. But anyway, so Echo also noted that the upstairs bedroom was absolutely full of spirits. And she said it's not a restful place. A little weird. Mm hmm. Also, the equipment captured something that sounded like footsteps. And then towards the end of the episode, Beth felt something holding her down. And then another person who was there, a crew member, Sherry, said it felt like, quote, something went into her. So she panicked. And then Echo told her, don't panic. It's just what they want you to do. Stay calm. Once she left the house, she felt better. Can I just tell you that if someone told me to stay calm and not panic, how much that would not work in that situation? Because one, <laughs> telling me to stay calm is never going to work. Right. And two, if I don't understand what is physically happening to me, I don't think I'm going to be able to get myself to a place of zen. Yeah, agreed. And as far as Sherry, when I was watching it, it really did look like she was super fearful. I mean, she very much could have been acting. Don't get me wrong. And if so, she's a great actress. But she looked very, very scared. That's fair. So Echo believes that there's over 20 restless spirits trapped in the house and said that on a scale from one to 10 for activity, this home is a 10. At the end of the sightings episode, the host mentioned that since their episode, the forces became violent. They then showed a picture of Steve's forehead, and it's a, you know, a photograph. And on the photo, it looks like there's like a, a small beam of light across his forehead. To me, for an old photo, I'm not sure how they would have done that unless it was double exposed, but it, it definitely didn't look like that. But yeah, it was like this beam of light across his forehead. And I guess it doesn't show on the negative. So remember negatives? Yeah. I haven't used those. It's so, so, long. so long. <laughs> the following day, though, there was a giant welt on his forehead. And they provided sightings with a video of the welt. And it was huge. It looked like someone hit him with a bat. He went to the doctor and they couldn't explain what happened. In the second episode of Sightings, they talk about how he went to the doctor for CAT scans and the doctor checked for both bruising and cuts and nothing was found. So completely unexplained. The Sightings crew on the second episode brought over a new psychic. His name's Peter James. And all I could think of is Tom Selleck as a, a psychic because they have the same mustache. Is it as thick and luscious? It is. Yeah, it's pretty intense. And so the whole time in my head as I'm watching the episode, I just pictured Tom Selleck playing a psychic. <laughs> I would love that. It made it a little more interesting, for sure. Pretty early in the episode, Peter James talks about how he had felt like somebody had wrapped their arms around his legs. And he said that there was a lot of death and activity. He also mentions the chemical smell. And he says something like, I smell like something old, but then it gets cut off. Yeah, the episode cut him off where he was trying to describe this chemical smell. My biggest question. And I was so angry because I want to understand what these ghosts are using to haunt with. What chemical? Did I tell you that I think that uh, the, there's a ghost in my house that cleans? And I'm pretty sure, like, maybe it's a cleaning solvent. Maybe they, ha maybe they also have a cleaning ghost. 
Maybe. I I have not heard of a cleaning ghost yet, but I would love to sign up for one. Another strange occurrence that happened during the sightings visit is Peter James asked the family if they knew about a name Howard. And Steve says something along the lines of there's no way he could have known that and that he needed to take a break. So it like very much caught him off guard. And then when they circle back and and talk about it again, James asked if they know someone being a pharmacist or being involved in pharmacy work. And Beth says Howard was very involved in that stuff. Then she goes on to say who Howard is. And she mentioned that she had an adopted granddaddy in the town that she had guardianship over for like 10 years. And his name was Howard. And that he had a son that they never got to meet because he died in the 60s of a drug overdose. And his best friend's dad was a doctor who was into pharmacy work and they would steal prescriptions. I guess the son's name was Howard Jr., so that's why it it freaked them out. When they returned to the upstairs bedroom, James smelled the chemical smell again and said that Howard was there. Howard is very protective of them, and he also says there's a vortex in the room that spirits use to enter our world and says that Howard protects it. And then he mentions Howard was murdered, which... All of that, that's a lot of information in one little quick scene. (laughs) As you were saying that, I was like, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I don't understand is if if it's this person, if if they're saying it's the son who died in the 60s, right? Is it him or did the granddaddy die? I, I don't know which Howard they're technically talking about. But they're saying, I, I want to say it's the, the son, Howard Jr., but if they never met him, I don't understand why he cares about them. I mean, I guess they helped his father, maybe? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, if if I was no longer around, but there was somebody who like really took care of my parents and looked out for them, and I had some ghostly pull, I would certainly try to protect them in return for the kindness that they did for my family. And you would also protect the vortex? Obviously. Okay. <laughs> so on on top of this, the, this vortex is going to come up a lot. They they bring it up several times in the episode and then throughout all the research on Black Forest Haunting, many different people have said that there's a vortex in this particular bedroom. So weird thing, though, to circle back. When James says there's a vortex, that's the same area on the thermal imaging camera that was detected in the last episode. So that hot spot. So does that mean that Howard was the negative spirit who was near the vortex because he's guarding it? That's what I don't understand. I mean, they said that there's, what, 20 plus spirits there. I don't think he's the negative one. I think the other person is. Okay. I guess I was imagining him as the bouncer to the vortex. So he's present next to it. But I could see how there could be many. I don't know how a vortex is shaped. So maybe there are many different places you could be next to it to guard it. A couple things with that. I love that the ghosts have a job called vortex bouncer. (laughs) Yeah, they should, right? And from what I've researched about vortexes because of this is... The the way that they explain it is like a train station between the worlds and that it's just an easy avenue for the spirits to go back and forth. And it it's a lot easier to come in and out of in this particular area versus if they wanted to go somewhere else. 
Okay, so he is the person on the outside clicking the button as people walk in. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm just trying to think about what his role is here. Because if he's protecting the vortex, what exactly does that mean? I'm not sure. Is he supposed to be, say, like, keeping bad spirits out? He's doing a bad job if that's the case. Is he supposed to make sure that humans don't find it? Again, he's doing a terrible job. I will say the one creepy thing is, though, you know, he could have totally played it because that episode was obviously recorded before this one. But when he points to where it is, is that that's the same spot the Echo Bodine had pointed to before and that the thermal imaging camera had seen something different. So that that was a little weird, unexplainable. But again, who knows? It's TV, right? The third episode of Sightings brought Peter James back again. And this this made me laugh. It shouldn't have. There's no reason for it. But they even allowed AOL users to join in on the investigation. You've got mail. <laughs> yeah. The thought of how it can be done today versus how it was done in the 90s is so different. It would be a Facebook Live. Yeah. You know, Facebook Live. Maybe Instagram Live, depending on the generation they're trying to hit. YouTube Live. Maybe a TikTok. Yeah. There's so many different avenues for this. So they also discussed in in the third one, there's this mirror in the bedroom. And this also, you know, when you start looking at the Black Forest haunting, this mirror will come up in pretty much every search. And it's a very old mirror in the bedroom. And they believe that the spirits who are coming through the vortex, they believe that the mirror is showing images of those, those uh, spirits. So it's like reflecting the spirits as they're flowing in and out. And when he was there, Peter James, he thought he saw a face with his flashlight. So they took some photos and enhanced them. And then they believe that they also saw faces. I I find that very interesting. However, I feel like your mind tries to see things in photos sometimes too. And especially a mirror. I have not been able and, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I just really don't want to see it. But I haven't seen an authentic mirror photo with something legit creepy in it. Have you? Hmm. I don't think I did either. No. Normally, it's kind of like, perhaps you should clean your mirror. Or there's the way that the person is standing, the light is captured in a certain way. Or it's their own reflection, but it's very faint because of, like again, the way they're standing or something like that. But I've never seen a mirror pick up on like a ghostly face that was actually a ghostly face and not just somebody in the room. Yeah, agreed. I think that it can just have so many different variables that it's hard to believe that that's what it is. Yeah. So in 1996, Senator Charles Duke, he also went to the home mainly because there had been so much fuss about the house and what was going on. And he had gone to kind of debunk it as a skeptic. And by the time he left, he was convinced that it was haunted, too. Which, interesting that they were like, send in the senator, he'll be able to figure this out. I honestly love that the senator went and looked around. I think that's really cool. I mean, agreed. Yeah, yeah. But he wouldn't be the person who I would send to scope out the facts on ghosts. True. Unless he was also a ghostbuster. Maybe he was. I don't know him. Well, you know, I would vote for him for sure. If he was a ghostbuster. Yeah. Maybe. It would still depend on his policies. But. Ghostbusting would put a very big weight in the yes column. Yes. So any anyone wanting to run for Arizona, if you're a ghost hunter, check. Really just put that in your ads. Amanda wants to know about it. You know, that would make all of these political ads much more exciting. Yeah. So 
I no longer have cable. I just have subscription services and I pay so I don't have to see commercials, which means I don't see smear ads. And I just can't even tell you how good that is for my mental health to not have to see like, do you like kittens? Because this candidate hates them. Brought to you by the other candidate. Like, it's just it's just frustrating and I don't think it's productive for our system. But that's not the conversation we're having today. So anyway... So some other notes throughout the years, there have been many psychics and paranormal experts that have been there and they've all agreed that the Black Forest House is one of the few locations on this planet that connects our world and the next. Also, Ina McClellan, a spiritual leader, also felt a spiritual presence. She said that she felt a lot of energy in the dining room area, which I don't think we've talked about a bunch, Mm -hmm. have we? Because it's been the living room. Right. And so it seems like the only room we haven't heard about is the bathroom. Good. Which is a good thing. Like, that's not the place I want to be haunted. Not that I want to be haunted anywhere, but especially not there. (laughs) Gary Hart, who does hyperdimensional studies and other physicists, have hypothesized the possible existence of time and space warps. This would also allow beings to travel between worlds and time or both. So past, future, and or both of them. He also believes the Lee home may be a location for one of these portals. So like a train station. Yes. But like a time. I'm thinking of Rocky Horror. Yes, that too. (laughs) John Tarvanen, hopefully I said that right, was interviewed about one of the nights he was house sitting and he also saw random lights moving. A nuclear physicist who was also interviewed said he didn't see anything like it before. Another thing that, that was noted is the closet in the master bedroom is thought to be a portal to the other side. So I don't know, is it the the closet? Is it the mirror? And then when they're saying like a closet portal, I don't know if you read this. And, and all I think of is the Lori Vallow case, because they said kind of off topic real quick, Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell have been said to have portals to speak to each other. And I always imagine them going in their closets to speak to each other. And then this is what what came up is their closet portal in the Black Forest. I just, I don't know. I think that they're accidentally saying portal, but what they mean is phone. (laughs) Also, when I read Closet Portal, what I thought of was much more wholesome. I thought of Narnia. Oh, (laughs) well. (laughs) But I also wondered, like, they're like, this area of the house is a portal, and this area is a portal, and this is a portal. And the outside, there's a place that's a portal, and there's here, and there's there. And so what it makes me think of is like a room where you can go into any room, but you're going to go to a different place. So kind of like our train station idea, but kind of vortexy. So you're kind of in your, you have a lobby and you can go to the past, the future, a different dimension, another dimension, another dimension. So who could really know? You're welcome. Bill Gibbons, an electromagnetics expert, was another person who came to debunk the haunting theory but he said it's extremely active and that there's nothing that Stephen Lee or Beth Lee are doing to cause the lights there. And his quote was, I saw spectacular light shows that could not be seen with a naked eye. So it seems like time and time again, people are coming and they're expecting to see something and go, no, 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 this isn't real. But when they get there, they're convinced. Mm-hmm. Another spiritual leader reported that the area is a, quote, rainbow vortex. And I wasn't quite sure what a rainbow vortex was. I'd never heard of it. Not that I was familiar with non-rainbow vortexes, but I think you looked up some some things on that, right? Yeah. So what I could find is that there are three rainbow vortexes that have been talked about. And there's photographic phenomenon similar to what's in the Black Forest, also recorded in London and in Arizona. So since I'm in Arizona, I was like, what are they talking about? 
everyone always talks about Sedona being full of vortexes. And so I just thought they were talking about that. Some people said that the other vortexes are found also in private residences. So I can't find exactly where this vortex is, but if someone knows, I would love to know where this other rainbow vortex is. Okay, so I'm going to tell you some things that some people have done, but don't do this because it's rude and we want to respect the least privacy. There are people on YouTube who have trespassed onto the Lee's property and they filmed what they allege are the rainbow vortexes. However, I would like to disagree. If you've ever looked into the distance and you've saw where the air gets a little bit wavy because it's hot. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. That's what they're videotaping. Oh, okay, Like the heat. Yeah, like the heat, the way the air looks in the heat. I don't know the science way to describe that, but that's what it looks like. But again, don't trespass on their property because that's very rude. Well, there have also been reports that they have been chased off the property by the leaves. Which is what happens when you trespass. <laughs> Agreed. Don't do it. It's rude. It's also over five acres of land. And if you go creeping in someone's woods, your safety is not guaranteed. That's true. So many believe that this is just... A classic haunting. However, Steve doesn't think so. So Steve Lee has been quoted discussing how he believes it is non-supernatural and that he has his own theories, including something about a government experiment. He's told reporters that he felt from the beginning that there were trespassers on his property and that his cabin is near a government facility that is home to top secret experiments and more. Lee related that security personnel guarded the area nearby the home, claiming that he saw black-clad armed men lurking around his property. He suspects that the whole experience the family has gone through is an experiment of mind control. Lee has expressed his beliefs that the government was testing biological weapons, psychic warfare, mind control, and laser holograms. He even tried to bring the FBI into the mix without success. And so he said, I truly think the U.S. government has a hand in this. I don't think one individual can get away with this for this period of time without getting caught. The government does testing out here that has military implications. So with his theory being out there, there was a movie made about it. It's called Government Guinea Pig When Uncle Sam Wants You. Obviously, we purchased it immediately, and we even reached out to Jan, who was hired to research and write the script for the docudrama. And we were able to ask her a bunch of questions about the home, about the family. She was very, very kind to get back to us super fast. And unfortunately, she didn't really have a lot of information outside of what's already published and obviously what was in her movie. But thank you, Jan. The movie was definitely a really interesting watch. And I thought as a person who's never really thought much about government experiments, it had a lot of information that I took and then researched more. Right, right. It sent us down a rabbit hole for sure. And we'll get into that. <laughs> In the movie, a couple takeaways that I found is that Steve had a reoccurring dream about being abducted and taken to a house. Also, it discussed a vent in his 18-wheeler. I don't think we mentioned that he was a truck driver, too. But it does discuss that in his 18-wheeler, they found a rag soaked in a chemical in one of the vents, and that when they attempted testing of it, the evidence was missing. 
Very, very shady and weird. Yeah. In addition to that, when he mentions that they tried to get the FBI to come and investigate as well, they declined. And his belief was they declined because they already knew what was happening versus they declined because, you know, if it's a haunting or something unexplained, what is the FBI going to look into? Yeah. So we looked into government testing that was discussed in the movie so that we could have a better understanding of why the Lees may have thought there was experimentation going on. And so when you think government experimentation, it's generally going to be experimentation that was done by the CIA. And I'll, I'll get into more about what that was. But there's Project Bluebird, Project Artichoke, and MK Ultra, all of which were conducted by the CIA. And they ended in the early 1960s. But in the late 70s and early 80s, when Stephen Lee was in his early 20s, there was a lot of media coverage about government experimentation. Right. So it was very much in the zeitgeist when he was becoming an adult. So it didn't feel so much like a conspiracy. Right. It felt like something that had happened and could happen again. Right. And if you grow up with it, that's always going to be in the back of your mind. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, once I realized... so. I kind of had this idea that when you talk over my conspiracies, it's a little bit tinfoil hat and that I wasn't going to find anything that made me think otherwise. And I was wrong. So I'm going to talk a little bit about CIA experimentation that happened that is talked about in the movie Government Guinea Pig when Uncle Sam wants you, partially because this is the framework that Stephen Lee was using to form the basis of why he thought what was happening to his family was happening. Right. In 1950, the CIA began Project Bluebird, and they did that to study the use of hypnosis for interrogation and to study how to control human behavior. It did so that in 1952, Project Bluebird was renamed into Project Artichoke. I'd love to know who is naming these projects. Right. (laughs) Right? And it's so random. And so once it became Project Artichoke, they also began to add the variable of drugs into equations to see how that would affect hypnosis or mind control. Project Bluebird and Artichoke are very theoretical. They're what would happen if right. this were to if we were to do this. That being said, those are the documents that I read on the CIA Open Library. There is a particularly alarming document where they talk about how they could hypnotize someone into killing a political official. And it's all but explicit. So and we'll share that on our Instagram because I when I read that, I was like, Oh, no, like this is this is not good. Well, and I want to say something that you just said again. This was on the CIA's actual website. So this isn't that she dug into these forums from 20 years ago. It It's actually on the CIA website that this happened. Yeah, yeah. So in 1953, Project Artichoke slash Bluebird ends and Project MK Ultra is started. Many of the consultants for Project Bluebird and Project Artichoke were hired under the umbrella project of MKUltra. So generally for MKUltra, I went through every document on the CIA Open Library that included the term MKUltra. It's a lot. It was over 400 because I know that so much of what is out there is conjecture and thoughts and ideas. And I heard from, I heard from, I heard from. And so I wanted a primary source to be able to base information off of. Right. Because otherwise, I just, it's hard for me to believe because I came to this whole government experimentation portion as an extreme skeptic. So MK Ultra was conducted from 1953 to 1964, but it wasn't until the late 70s and early 80s that the public became aware of it. And I had mentioned that earlier. And 
During that time, the public, understandably, demanded answers and accountability from the CIA. Yeah, understandably. Yeah. So a little sketchy, but in 1973, nine years after the project ended, the doctor who had ran the project ordered that all of the documents be destroyed. Oops. And his name was Dr. Sidney Godley. Yeah. A little weird, right? Mm -hmm. When you start talking about shredding documents, I'm automatically suspect of you. Right. The documents that remain, those 400 and some that I had mentioned, are for the most part, their budget documents, their memos, or they're all of the documents that came in the aftermath of trying to figure out what to do now that the public knows. <laughs> because so many people were worried that some ailment they had, some behavior of their family member, some mysterious occurrence, some night they don't remember had to do with them being an unwitting participant. And that's the phrase that's used over and over again. And then also, he thought that all the documents were destroyed, correct? And then this one was just in a different place, and he didn't know about it. Yeah, so the documents that did remain were the ones that were in a budget office. So they were kept separate for that reason, or they were memos that weren't stored with the other documents because they had been sent to someone. MKUltra itself is a project that's comprised of 149 subprojects, which sounds like a ton, But sometimes what they would do is rather than keep the same number over the years, say on year three, they might make subproject four into subproject 15 for whatever reason. So it wasn't 149 unique subprojects. So some of the projects involved unwitting participants, but not all of them did. Some did include volunteers. The topics for the experiments were things like hypnosis, the effects of behavioral drugs and alcohol, and quote, Aspects of magician's art, useful in covert operations. And I love it, I'm, but that was for inconspicuously drugging someone, that kind of stuff. So at first, I thought it was like getting a piece of evidence from the enemy, but it wasn't. It was to drug people. That's terrible. So not great. And used in bars. Yeah. So some of the experiments that were conducted, they would induce amnesia. They would keep patients asleep for over two months. And while they were asleep, they would play a tape recording of a message on a loop to see if it would cause any mental disturbances. Additionally, they would do excessive electroshock therapy. They would administer drugs like LSD. Sometimes they were administered at facilities. And sometimes the researchers would dose people like family and friends at parties and then just watch what happened. With LSD. With LSD. So like a fantastic Thanksgiving. (laughs) Can you even imagine what that holiday looked like with these crazy scientists going nuts and drugging their family? There wasn't anything that specifically said a family holiday, but I guess that's just where I go is that it was in the cranberry sauce and like grandma is now like the turkey is coming for her. Anywho, what else did they do? This one really got to me in a deep way. They had guide dogs that what they would use is electrical electrical brain stimulations. And the person who was operating the stimulations would be able to guide the dog through a course. And the course would be unfamiliar to the dog. So it's not as though it was just muscle memory and the dog knew their way. It was like they would do a mental stimulation for right, for left, for that kind of stuff. So that it would kind of take the dog there. And so in the memo titled Guided Animal Studies dated April 21st from 1961, I'm going to read you a little quote from it. It talks about a redacted party. We'll also include this in our Instagram because I think it's interesting. It says, redacted party is taking appropriate action to exploit our knowledge of this area and provide adequate background for the development of future agency application in the general areas of influencing human behavior, indirect assessment, and interrogation aids. 
Is it just me or I don't understand how those go together? Those go together because that's what MK Ultra is. MK Ultra is looking at how to affect human behavior. And the way that all of this started was because they wanted to be better at interrogation. But leave the dogs out of it. Leave the dogs out. Yeah. The dogs are kind of like a first step of like, can we can we do this? I didn't go into it too much. One of the points of Project Bluebird was for them to create teams that would have a polygraph analyst, a hypnotist, and a doctor, all of which who would be present during the interrogation of a person, and they would be able to tell if they were lying and be able to better extract information than your average CIA analyst. So maybe kind of seeing it in that color, it explains like the behavioral portion of it and that the whole point is to be able to get information from people. But that's where it started. But then it kind of got a little (laughs) further from that as they went on. So I think the spiciest of experiments they had was Operation Midnight Climax. Amanda's shaking her head at me because we're on Skype. So I could see her lovely face as I read this. Okay, so... In San Francisco, California, there was an apartment that was leased by the CIA. And the whole point was because they wanted to study behavior control and sexual behavior. So while in the apartment, sex workers would bring up clients and then they would dose them with LSD and the clients wouldn't know about it. So then they would begin their interactions with one another. There was a two-way mirror in the room. And on the other side of the mirror, there's a CIA agent sitting on a commode watching this happen taking notes what (laughs) every time i read this picture it in my head these sex workers that that work for the cia obviously who lure these people up there use their magic trick to dose them with lsd and who knows what else yeah and that this was something that our government put money into Yes. And that is a very good point, because when we bring this back to the public finding out, this is the kind of thing that really starts to blow up. The people are like, you hired sex workers to do research to drug people like you hired sex workers to do illegal things. Mm -hmm. The idea all of this is a bit strange in the context of a government funded experiment. Yeah. And there was lots of testimony (laughs) in front of the Congress for this, because it was, again, as I said, it was spicy. People like senators, congressmen and women wanted answers as to why this happened. Because keep in mind, they destroyed the documents. So we don't even know what they learned. Except about Operation Midnight Climax. That's what stayed. Yes, that's that's what sticked for us. So interestingly, news breaks of government experiments. More and more people start coming out of the woodwork saying that they were participants or that they helped with the experiments themselves. In some places, there were prisoners who had experiments conducted on them. There are differing accounts of whether they were volunteers or not. I'm of the assumption that if you're a prisoner, you don't have much of a choice in that, honestly. So I think that it was more morally reprehensible either way. Mm -hmm. In addition, I want to think that some of the sex workers came forward and were like, hey, What's going on here? And the one in San Francisco was confirmed, but there were also allegations that this was happening in other metropolitan areas, but they were in CIA safe houses, which which is certainly not the use of a safe house. No. And isn't that also, I, I mean, to kind of bring it back to Steve, Steve believes that there was a government facility near his home and that they were conducting experiments. So exactly. I mean, if that's what he grew up with in the news it makes it so much more believable to him. And then that carried over. Exactly. I didn't know about any of this. 
So when you say government conspiracy, I kind of look sideways. Mm-hmm. Like, go, uh, I don't know about it. But because he grew up in his formative adult years, with this as an undisputable fact, it makes sense that when he was trying to figure out what was going on with his home, that he would pick something that was factually based and proven over something that is a possibility and is not widely regarded as, a, as serious science. Agreed. And the fact that he believes that he was seeing people on his property or that when he believed that there would be a person, it wouldn't be caught on camera. Or I, I want to say that I read somewhere that the electricity would go out at certain times. Why he would point that to possible government interference. Yeah. So most of what we've read about Black Forest is are things that happened before the 2010, right? It's we haven't seen anything recently. No. So we know that the house was put up for sale in October of 2010 and that they'd updated and expanded the house. What did they add? They added a couple different buildings, uh, two additional houses. And I don't think it's like full blown houses, but maybe guest houses or something. You don't actually get to see this anywhere. It's just what we're able to find about the property. There's no like walkthrough, unfortunately, that I've been able to find like a full walkthrough. And then they also, this was kind of fun. They have two habitable tree houses on the property now. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they find the trespassers. I also wonder if those are for hunting. Now that I think oh, about that. I mean, maybe. There might be a little hunting spot, especially if, with over five acres. Mm-hmm. It would make sense if you're like, I'm deep in the woods. Yeah. And I, I had found, actually, that's how I found Jan originally. I found a site that had Jan's name on it in regards to the property listing. And I had mistaken her for a possible realtor and wanted to know more about the property. And then we got to talking. So that was really neat. But as far as what we can see now, they still own the home. But I can't find anywhere that says that these experiences continued. So here's my thought on that. I think that the Lees originally reached out to find answers. And when they didn't get them, they stopped. Because people started coming onto their property. They had camera crews. It was just, I would imagine it's a lot. And there's only so many people you can hear say like, it's a psychic disturbance. It's a vortex. There's a negative energy in your dining room. He doesn't like you. Until you're just like, I get that. Can I get something else? Because it doesn't seem like they were satisfied with that answer, which that's fine. Well, even being given that answer, let's say that all of that is factual and that is what is happening. That doesn't resolve anything. It it doesn't actually make it better for them in any way. It's just, this is what it is. Can we fix it? Nope. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know, in a good old haunting movie, you see an ending, right? The family moves out. The house concaves onto itself or (laughs) they do like some type of cleansing of the house. But I don't know if you can cleanse a portal Mm-mm. or a vortex. No. So what do you think it is? So I kind of go back and forth and not so much with the government experiment portion of it, only because I don't see why they'd pick that family. However, they they could have made someone mad along the way. They could have had some sort of secret life that I don't know about. Or maybe they that's just it. Why would they choose that family? But as far as like the paranormal thing. Going off of Echo Bodine and Peter James and all of that, I feel like there might be something odd there. However, I, I, I don't know what it is. The photographs and the mirror photos and things like that, a lot of them look like double exposure to me. And hopefully that's the right photography term for it. But it, it just looks like it's a photo on top of another photo in certain senses. Especially the the most famous mirror picture that when you Google Black Forest, that's going to be the first thing that comes up or Black Forest haunting. 
I don't know about that. I don't trust mirror photos. I don't trust light photos or org photos most of the time, only because those are very easy to debunk. Now, is there something there? I think there might be, but I don't think that they have that much video and photographic evidence of it. What about you? I don't know a lot about Colorado history in terms of what was that area like in the 1800s? That 1800s ghost just sticks with me. I don't know why it does, uh, but I am firmly in the position of a question mark. I think it is a mixture between camera flares, the sun, problems with cameras, as you were mentioning, right? And things that are actually happening. I, I don't know much about this life or the next in terms of like how they connect. But I find it interesting that so many people would describe things as a vortex or a train station. We do know that some people found like some people were the second people to say this, right? If anybody who says it's after it's televised, to me, you're just a little bit less credible because you saw somebody else say it first. But I think it's interesting to continue to hear that same phrase. I don't think that anybody who went onto the property got like a kickback for finding a vortex. You know what I mean? Like, there wasn't any ramifications if they didn't find anything. So, so I feel like the idea that so many people agree there was a vortex there. Right. Maybe there's something. And when it comes to government conspiracies, and I know that we, we've chatted about this before when we were like getting the podcast ready. We talked about, like I was like reading all of the CIA documents. It was such a nightmare to clean up that I just don't think the CIA is going to test on people like that. Not to say that another arm of the government wouldn't because now there are much there are many more arms of the government that could do that, that would be more inclined to. But I, that's kind of a hard sell for me because why this family, why where it is, there's nothing that seems, that doesn't seem like there's a particular reason why it would be them. And I would imagine that if they were going to be doing government testing, it would probably be in a more metropolitan area. They would have an easier way of surveilling. But then again, they have a really secluded home. So if they were going to do something to a family and monitor them, they're kind of perfect for it. So I don't know. Like I 100% see why they think that. Like I have like no judgment. I feel like when I've listened to other podcasts about Black Forest, some people did a lot more joking about their conspiracy theories. But I think it's completely reasonable why they thought that. Right. Yeah. Well, those people also either haven't looked into the government testing as much. Yeah. Or they didn't realize that this is what he grew up with. This is what was on the news. This is what was talked about a lot. And so, of course, you're going to go, well, it happened once. It could definitely happen again. Yeah. Our generation grew up with ghost shows. So we're like, oh, maybe it's ghosts. <laughs> it makes sense to us. Yeah. It seems like a provable fact now. But in the 90s, not really, right? Yeah. There wasn't much on there. So I am completely just, like you said, a question mark. I don't know. I don't know how to explain a lot of the things, but I don't trust the photo and video evidence as much without doing it personally. Yeah. So we'll post some of the photos, too, when this episode comes out. So check out our Instagram and Facebook and all of that fun stuff. And then I want to hear from people, too. What do you think about the photos and what Lindsay's going to post about? the CIA Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> I want to hear. Yeah, I definitely I definitely want to know what people's thoughts are. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. 
We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 